everyone and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We have got a jam-packed show for you this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we sit back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians with my cohort in crime, the co-host and resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How you doing, Dave? I'm glad uh, we are back on the air at a time when the Indians are playing better ball than they were last week. Well, I think the Reds are playing a little bit better ball also. But, you know, most importantly, I believe, Mark, is two things. First of all, happy belated Father Day to you and all. Thank you very much. Same to you. And the second thing is the weather has broken. I know uh, here in the northern half of the state it was close to 80 degrees here, and I understand in the southern part of the state it's getting even nicer. Well, if you like 90 degrees getting nicer, yeah, it is. It's finally summer's here. A week early, but uh, I'm a hot weather guy, so the warm weather does not bother me at all. I'd much rather have it hot than cold, so it's not soon enough for me. I totally agree with you with that. Well, so far tonight, the Indians are on top of the Kansas City Royals in the battle for second place in the American League Central Division. The Indians leading this game one to nothing over the Royals in the seventh inning. Carlos Carrasco is coming back, Mark after his seven-game suspension and started tonight, and he's doing an outstanding job on the mound. What's happening with the Reds this evening? Well, it's the top of the seventh inning. Nobody out. The Pirates are hitting, but the Reds are ahead 2-1. to one. They've got uh, two solo home runs, one by Zach Cozart and one by Todd Frazier, and Frazier's was a, he, it was a shot. <clears throat> Both of them were upper, upper deck home runs against a pitcher who had not given up a home run at all this year, not one. So right now, two to one Reds, but the Pirates are threatening with a runner on first. Nobody out in the top of the seventh. <clears throat> Has there been any bean balls that have happened yet tonight between these two clubs? No, but this series is a four-game series, and I don't think the Reds are going to forget what happened to Brandon Phillips. <clears throat> I think literally it cost them two games uh, with, with him being out of the lineup, and uh, the Reds are not going to forget that. So. I don't think the, the quiet that we're enjoying now is going to last the rest of the uh, four-game series. Well, let's get into what's going on with the Reds, and then we'll we'll delve into the Indians. But so far, the Reds five and two on the week. Mark, they've got one of the best records in baseball at forty-two and twenty-eight, but they're still two and a half games behind the Cardinals and just a half a game uh, in front of the Pirates in that Central Division. So <laughs> even though the Reds are in second place. They're still playing some outstanding baseball overall this season. I checked the schedule or the standings this morning, and right now the Reds have a five-game lead in protecting that second playoff spot. Now it's a obviously a long, long way to go for that wild card spot, but uh, you know the Reds are in a pretty good spot, and uh, they were rated by ESPN the number four team in Major League Baseball in the power rankings. So uh, they're playing well. They're getting good pitching and. Uh, the interesting thing is, the second half of the season, uh, they're going to get a lot better. They're going to get uh, Ryan Ludwig back. They're going to get Heisey back in the outfield. And then they're going to get Sean Marshall back in that bullpen. And uh, the other kind of interesting news today is the Reds kept Tony Singrani on the roster and uh, bringing him out of the bullpen. Uh, he, he pitched a great game the other day in a starting role uh, when he replaced uh when he was hurt. So, you know, I think the Reds are in a really good position right now, and uh, if they can stay healthy, not have any other major injuries, I think the second half of the season, you know, it's interesting, the Reds are 14 games over 500, and if, if you play that way, you know, you play 14, 15 games over 500, uh, you don't lose more than a couple in a row, you've got a chance to run off eight or ten in a row and basically make the playoffs. You know, you go 22, 23 games over 500. I don't care when you do that. It's hard not to make the playoffs. So I think that's what Dusty Baker is hoping, that uh, the Reds get hot and they can uh, stretch that over 500 uh, up from 14 to, you know, in the mid-20s. Well, let's look at this from a 
objective point of view, Mark. I mean, with a 42 and 28 record that the the Reds have, any other division in baseball, they'd be in first place, and you'd be calling it a, a very successful season. Right now, you know, behind the Cardinals, the way the Cardinals are playing, I, I don't think anybody could catch those guys right now. Well, obviously the way they're playing, but uh, I've said from the beginning of the season, uh, their young pitching have, have really lifted them up, and the hitting they've gotten with runners on base, they're hitting like 335 with runners in scoring position. In my opinion, neither of those things are going to last. They're, they're going to come to earth. Uh, there's going to be a regression to the mean, and particularly in runners in scoring position. So I, I think the Reds are in good shape. I think the Cardinals cannot play better than they're playing now. I think they can only play worse, and, and I think they will play worse. I don't think they're going to be awful at any point in the season. They're too good a ball club. But I think the Reds are a handful for anybody to handle, and I think I think they're a better team than the Cardinals. Uh, but they've lost six games this year with with leads going into the eighth inning, and, and sometimes as many as four, three and four run leads. And that's not going to happen all year. I can guarantee you with, with a bullpen getting, getting healthier. So I, I look for the Reds to have a big second half, and I still think this team could win uh, you know, 95 games uh, this year, which will uh, certainly put them in a good position toward the playoffs. Well, you've advocated all year, Singrani, going to the bullpen, especially with the injury to Marshall. Okay, so now they've brought Singrani up full-time. He's going to the bullpen. Who's going down once Marshall comes back? Well, I hope it's um, uh, Manny Parra. Uh, he, he simply has not pitched well this year. He's been pounded by left-handers and right-handers. And uh, I don't understand. You know, you look at a guy's stuff. I was looking at his breaking ball the other day, and it breaks a lot, but it breaks over the middle of the plate. But this is a left-hander throwing 93, 94 miles an hour. And it must be he has no movement. That that has, you know, he's a left-hander, and even left-hand hitters pull the ball on him. So there's got to be something that you could do with that kind of arm. But so far, uh, you know, when he was with Milwaukee three or four years ago, he was tough. He, he was a tough guy to deal with. But something's happened to his delivery, his location. I, I don't know what it is. But you just scratch your head. A guy with that kind of stuff and being left-handed uh, has an ERA over six. Okay, my quick math. You said you had just mentioned that the Reds could possibly f finish with 95 wins this year. Okay, by my quick math, with the games left, 92, they would have to go 53 and 39 throughout the rest of the year. Obviously, that's a distinct possibility because they're already 14 games over 500 through 70 games. They should be able to finish 14 games over 500 than the last 92. Then, yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think that that is is very doable. And don't forget, this team has been without their number one uh, left-hand relief guy. Uh, they were out without their number one starter, Johnny Cueto. He's missed, I think, seven or eight starts. Their their leadoff hitter, or, I mean, sorry, their number four hitter, their number five outfielder, and yet they they've done what they've done. And if it wasn't for the Cardinals having an outrageous beginning, the Reds would be comfortably in first place. Well, you mentioned Johnny Cueto coming back off the DL. Before we get into your opinion about how he looked, let's listen to what Dusty Baker had to say yesterday on Cueto's performance. Well, I did, and, uh, you know, he hung a, a slider to Gomez, and that was really kind of the only mistake he made. And, uh, you know, he was, he was excellent. We thought we took him as far as you could take him. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a good game. I mean, we were scratching for runs, as you saw, but um, we were trying to scratch them out as many runs as we could. And, uh, you know, what a job by Simone. You know, I mean, we, always, we all thought that the day of three and three was, was dead, but, you know, he saved my bullpen today. So he did a great job and without a whole bunch of pitches. So, you know, he could probably come back now. Well, Dusty was happy about it. Mark, how did you feel about Cueto's performance? Oh, I think it was more than you could have expected from a guy coming back from the DL for the second time. Uh, he's missed a lot of starts this year, and uh, although the good thing about that is he should be strong for the rest of the year. He's certainly not going to be, 
you know, overpitched this year because of the number of innings he's already missed. So hopefully he can come back strong the second half of the year. And we still have, what, how many games before the uh, the midway point? So <coughs> he's going to have a lot of starts left. And, uh, boy, that Reds rotation, uh, Mike Leake just got out of a jam here in the, in the seventh inning. But Mike Leake has pitched as well as anybody in baseball, not just in the Reds rotation. And he's their number five starter. If there's a weak link in their rotation now, it's Homer Bailey. Uh, he got hit up again the other night, got beat 6 to nothing on Saturday, and although he didn't pitch all that badly. But when he's your worst starter, uh, that, that's a pretty good rotation. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I, I've been impressed with the way both Latos and Leak have thrown this year for the Reds. Yeah, Latos is still undefeated, and he should be about 10-0. and 0. The bullpen is fit the bit four or five times when he's had a lead. And he's been the recipient of a lot of bad bullpen help, a lot of blown saves. So you're right. Uh, Latos has been, he's been very, very consistent. And I think you've got, what, uh, three pitchers that are undefeated in the red starting rotation. Uh, Latos is, I think, what, uh, 4-0 or 5-0, or no, 6-0. And Cueto's 4-0, and Sangrani's 3-0. So you you have thirteen and zero among those three starters. That's not too bad. Before we get to the Indians, let's go to the other side of the coin, Mark. How many games has J.J. Hoover lost this year out of the bullpen? And is he really pitching that bad? He's zero and five, and yeah, I mean the numbers don't lie. He he's got great stuff, but his location. Sometimes I want to jump to the TV and say, don't put it over the middle of the plate. Put it on the outside corner or come inside. But he's a young pitcher. He's, he's made some stupid pitches this year. And you don't make stupid pitches to major league hitters more than once. They're going to come back and get you. But I think this guy's got a great arm. Uh, if he can get some location, he's, he's going to be you know, a pretty good pickup. But speaking of great pickups for the Reds, a guy who's been under the radar for the last two years is Alfredo Simone. Uh, he is he has just pitched outstanding ball since the Reds signed him last year on the eve of opening day in 2012 and ticked off a lot of people because that means they had to send Frazier back to the minors. But he has been a, a godsend to the Reds' bullpen. He pitched three innings the other night, gave up nothing over, over three innings to, to get a save. And uh, the, the Reds have really needed him this year. Well, don't forget our Ask Us segment is coming up here in about 20 minutes. We're going to be we've got a ton of questions here tonight, Mark. I'll tell you what. And there there's some pretty good questions also. Mark and I will be fielding your questions here this evening on the show. And if you've got any others, feel free to email us at askus a s k u s at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can also send us a tweet at ohbb co-host. Well, Mark, let, let's switch to the Indians where they've done a pretty good job of snapping out of the doldrums, I think. They, they've started to get better pitching performances, especially uh, on Sunday with Corey Kluber outdueling Steven Strasburg. And I'll tell you what, after a year last year of saying probably twice a week that Corey Kluber got clobbered, uh, he has done an excellent job. Uh, Rick Calloway, the Indians pitching coach, i got to tell you what, I, this guy has really been the unsung ser- uh, hero of the season so far, Mark. He's taken Ubaldo Jimenez, and he's also taken Corey Kluber, two guys that just could not find the strike zone and were boring as all get-out if you were an infielder or an outfielder standing out there playing behind them under the team last year. And Kluber has given up on his cutter, and he's stuck mainly with his fastball and slider and his changeup and only used the cutter maybe five or six times a game mark, and it has been a marked improvement, so much so that he was 2-0 and this week with an ERA under one. He's been named the co-American League Player of the Week with, guess who? His teammate, Jason Kipnis. So the Indians obviously are playing a little bit better ball, only five and a half games behind Detroit. But right now Kansas City battling them for second place just tied up the game 1-1. Uh, 
in that one. But I'll tell you what, I'm happy with the way the Indians are playing right now, Mark, and I think they're they're getting better. They've gone through what they had to go through, and they may be the better team for it. I'm going to ask you this uh, from time to time throughout the season because a lot of Reds fans are asking it about Chu. Uh, do you think Swisher is living up to the expectations you had for him this year? Um, on the field, probably just a little bit less. But I'll tell you what, when you look at, and I want to pull up his statistics while I'm trying to answer your question, but y- you look at what Nick Swisher has done this year, Mark, and, and the thing about it is is that I looked at the signing for him in two ways. If you recall, this, this is pretty much how I looked at it. He was only costing $2 million more than what Travis Hefner was which was fine with me. I thought he was going to bring more to the table than Travis Hafner did anyway. Secondly, you know what you're going to get out of Nick Swisher because over the past five or six years, he's been consistent, a 20 to 22 a year home run man, around 80 to 90 RBIs, and he's going to bat 270 to 280. Well, right now, if you look at his stats and he's playing with a sore shoulder, he's played in 61 games, which is approximately a third of the season. Uh, a little bit more than that. He's got seven home runs and 24 RBIs, and his batting average is 270, or two, I'm sorry, 237. So you look at those items, Mark, and I would say, okay, he's on par to hit about 20 home runs. He's on par to, to drive in around 70 runs for the year, and I think his batting average could be a lot, a lot higher. So has he done what we expected him to do on the field? Probably a little bit less than what I had hoped, but. <coughs> Where he is making up for it, and it's the intangibles. It's the excitement that he's brought back to this team. It's the fun. It's the, uh, like I said, the intangibles that he has brought to the clubhouse, just keeping everybody loose, keeping everybody in a frame of mind to be able to play this game and go through the the day-to-day doldrums of, of a long baseball season, Mark. I would rather I would like to see a lot more. I don't think he's a cleanup hitter, but the Indians, the way their lineup is constituted, they've had to use him a cleanup. Now when Cabrera went down, they put him at number three in the batting order, but he's going to miss this Kansas City series. They're not going to put him on the DL, but he's got a shoulder problem. And it's basically, according to them, from him switching back and forth between right field and first base. Um, but I, I think has he been worth the money on the field? To answer your question, no. Off the field, yeah, I think he's been worth it and a lot more. How long is his contract? Four years. He's got and he, and a fifth, fifth option at the fifth year option at the team's option. He's what? Thirty two years old. Um, he's thirty one. Thirty one. Okay. You know, when I see him play, I saw him play the other day uh, about a week ago. And you're right. He's. I don't think he's a number three hitter. I don't think he's a number four hitter. I think he would be the kind of guy that would be a wonderful number two hitter or a very good number five hitter or even a number six hitter. But if you have a lineup where you can put a guy like Swisher in in the right lineup, he can be an all-star. Imagine him being a number two hitter. He makes contact. He's got decent speed. Switch hitter. He goes, you know, he can do a lot of things. But you put him out of position in number three or number four, you're not going to get your money's worth, I don't think. But hes you're right, the intangibles he brings. I saw him, in the game I saw, I was switching back and forth between the Reds game and the Indians game, and I saw him, I don't know, they, were on, they had the camera on him quite a bit. And I, I started thinking, this guy must smile all the time. He, you know, he's always smiling on the bench. He was smiling at the plate. He just is, is an effervescent, exuberant guy, and I can see how much fun he'd be in the clubhouse. Well, and when they went through the Chapman incident uh, in Cincinnati, he didn't perpetuate that thing at all, which I was rather surprised at. The media really tried to get him to say some things about Chapman and get this thing going, and he just said, look, guys, he said, hey, one pitch got away from him, the other pitch he, he, he threw at my head, it's over, it's done with, that's it. And, and and that's the way he handled it. And that's the way that he's handled virtually everything, Mark. I mean, he, 
he and Francona have been such a breath of fresh air to this team where nothing seems to bother them. They just continually go out and do their job. They're only focused on what they've got to do that day. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're not worried about yesterday. It's just what's happening in this game, and they've done a great job of keeping this team focused and where they should be day after day. I was thinking of you the other day. I think it was yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, they interviewed Marty Brenneman uh, about his favorite people in baseball, people he likes personally, he respects professionally, and, you know, who's at the top of your list? And guess who he said was one of the great baseball minds in baseball and his one of his best friends in baseball and a guy he would rather spend time with than anybody else in baseball? I have no idea, but I'm anxious yes. to hear. Terry Francona. He said, Francona knows more about baseball. And he said, I've been around Sparky Anderson. I've been around all these, you know, Dusty Baker and all this. <clears throat> he said, Terry Francona knows more about little stuff in baseball, the nuances of the game, than anybody he's ever, ever met. Now, this was obviously unsolicited because somebody asked him a question out of the blue about who he most respected in baseball. But I was very impressed that it was Terry Francona, where he, you know, he, he has met literally thousands of people in baseball. And that was the guy who he said uh, was the most impressive to him. And then conversely, he said he asked Francona, who do you think on anybody you've played with would make a great manager? And he said without any hesitation, Jason Giambi. He said Jason Giambi is one of the smartest baseball people he's ever met, one of the most hardworking guys he's ever met, and he said will someday be a great manager. I, I agree with that. Matter of fact, Mark, when Colorado was looking for a manager, I thought they made a big mistake when they hired Walt Weiss. I really thought their 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 manager was right there in Giambi. That's that's precisely what he said. He said, I, and this is Francona talking, he said, I've got nothing against Walt, against Walt Weiss. He's a good manager. He said, but Jason Giambi would have been perfect for Colorado. He said he's a guy that the players respect. He's been an all-star, and uh, nobody works harder. And he said it, it, it was really unfortunate. He said, but Giambi can still play, although he's not hitting that well this year. Um, but he, he is a guy destined uh, to be a, an outstanding manager, according to Terry Francona. Well, you know, and and the stats show that Giambi is not hitting that well. I, I will give you that. But this guy has hit into a lot of bad luck also. Um, he did go through an 0-for-21 streak uh, with the Indians, but he broke down in Cincinnati with the home run in the first game uh, on Memorial Day to, to deep center field. I, I'll tell you what, when you add Swisher and Francona, and I did want to bring up Giambi. He's been a settling influence on this team also because he, he just, every day, Mark, those three guys just continue to do their job. And Giambi sits there and talks with people on the bench when he's not playing. And he's like a second manager. And then when you've got Sandy Alomar, who's the bench coach, and you've got Callaway, who's able to talk to the pitchers, I, I just think that this is an outstanding field organization that the Indians have put in place with these guys. And and I've got a feeling if Giambi's playing days are over and if he doesn't have a managing job, he's definitely going to be welcome on the Indians as a coach. Well, he's got a lot of fans, and, you know, he overcame that issue with the steroids. But uh, if I recall, he never denied it. He said, yeah, I took them. But he said they weren't illegal at the time. I took them. He said when they became illegal, I stopped taking them which is probably absolutely the best thing anybody can say. It, you know, I, I, I never understood people like Clemens denying they took something when, in fact, when they took the stuff, it wasn't illegal. They, they were just concerned about their legacy as if that would hurt them. But Giambi, you know, took it like a man and stepped up and said, yeah, I took it for a couple of years. Uh, that's it. You know, we, we kind of touched upon this last week, Mark, and they also did on Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN. And I want to ask you this question. For example, Andy Pettit made the comment 
a few years ago, and he even brought it up again this year. And another person that brought it up just recently was Ryan Madsen, uh, formerly of the Reds, now with the Angels. And, of course, you and I discussed him a couple of weeks ago and, and the interview that I had with a guy out in, in L.A. on my Thursday night show saying that Madsen just never would show up at some of his rehab assignments for the Angels. And it's, it's turned out that his arm is bothering him again. And Madsen and Pettit have both said in different time frames that they think that these performance-enhancing drugs should be made available to players who are on the disabled list and suffering from injuries if they can help to their rehab process and get them healthier quicker. What do you think of that statement? I could not agree more. I think that's precisely why those things are designed. Uh, I can understand the the reservation, although I disagree with the theory wholeheartedly. Uh, today, I, I was doing yard work today, and I, I took something called Monster. It's it's some, some kind. I've never. It's an energy drink. I've never had it before, but I was thirsty and I drank it, and that enhanced my performance in yard work. <laughs> but. I, I was thinking about that. I, what's the difference in taking this stuff and taking something similar if you're an athlete? I, again, I, I'm I'm very much against steroids per se because they hurt the body and, and they can kill you. So obviously that's something you shouldn't be allowed to take. But some of these things are very benign and they they simply make you more acute and they make you more energy effervescent and and all that stuff. So I don't understand that, but for the injuries, absolutely. And if you remember, I think it was Edinson Volquez, when he was on the DL, you know, you're allowed, your suspension can be served while you are on the DL. So if you are somebody coming back from surgery and you want to take that stuff, your, your, your DL can be part of the suspension. So it's a calculated risk. You know, if my career was in the in the balance, say, so, okay, suspend me 50 games. I'm not going to be playing anyway because I'm on the, you know, 90-day uh, DL or a six-month DL or whatever, and I'll heal better. Uh, I'm taking care of my body. So I, I agree with that statement. And I don't, I don't know why Major League Baseball is so afraid to come out and say that's what we're going to do. Well, Andy Pettit said that that was he, – he took – that was why he was caught – taking the PEDs is because he was only doing it to help his recuperation process. Ryan Madsen is complaining that he's not allowed to take it, and he wants to take them, the same as Pettit did, to help his recuperation process. I tend to agree with you on that, that statement, Mark. I, I think if a doctor, a licensed practicing doctor, is going to make these available to a ball player, where in the world does Major League Baseball have the wherewithal to say, no, you're not allowed to do it? Well, like I said, if they want to go on the DL anyway and take it, baseball can suspend them. The only bad thing is you lose your salary. <laughs> that's that's the problem with that. If you're suspended, you don't get paid. But Volquez, you know, he made that calculation. He said, you know what? I want to heal. I want to play baseball for the next 15 years. So I, I want to take something that's going to help me heal. That, that is so ridiculous on, on the surface that it, it makes no sense at all. Well, I've often been, and, and Greg and I have even discussed this, especially in the NFL, which seems to go crazy over what players can take and what they can't take. If a, if a doctor is prescribing something, especially a prescription drug, how do sports think that they can step in and say no? Where do they get the 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 feeling that they are over and above a a family doctor? It, it sounds so political to me. Where you know, with the health care plan and everything, now you've got baseball, football, basketball saying, "Hey, you can't take it, even though your doctor is prescribing it for you." Well, that's that's the part of it that makes no sense and, and continues to be a contradiction. If you're looking after the best interest of the player. Let them heal. Once they're healed, they can't do it anymore. Okay, that, that could be a rule that you put into effect. But if you want to prevent an injury and make your 
$20 million investment come back bigger and better and stronger, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's ridiculous not to allow that. Well, we're about halfway through tonight's show. We're going to have our Ask Us segment coming up in just a few minutes, and we'll be back and go through that. Mark and I will answer your questions right after this timeout. In Cincinnati last night, Dylan Michael made his highly anticipated debut in front of a full house and did not disappoint. Michael went three of five with a single and two doubles while driving in three as Cincinnati defeated New York six to three. Michael, Cincinnati's number one pick in this year's amateur draft, virtually forced the team to promote him after pounding minor league pitching since his signing. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also pick it up just simply by going to our website, ultimatesportstalk.com, and ordering your copy there. You know, a lot of people, Mark, think that, that you and I spend hours and hours um, getting ready for this show. Sometimes it may seem like that. Other times it may not. It may seem like we've taken just a few minutes. But We talked a little bit before we went on the air tonight, and I said I wanted to bring up a subject this evening that I thought you and I might disagree on, and I think it's time to bring it up before we get into the Ask Us segment. Yesterday the Indians played the Washington Nationals. Steven Strasburg came off the, the DL with, with his uh, they said it was uh, an oblique injury uh, that he was on the DL for about 15 days. He pitched five innings, Mark, coming off the DL. He gave up one run on one hit on 81 pitches, and he was pulled from the game after five innings. I am convinced the Nationals are never going to let this guy face any adversity in his career. Every time this guy has a hangnail, they're going to use it as an excuse not to pitch him. Not because they are afraid he is going to be unsuccessful, but because they are afraid that he is going to have some sort of an injury that is going to cause him to miss a season like he did when he underwent Tommy John surgery. I think they're babying him, and I think they need to take the the pacifier out of his mouth and let this kid pitch. Well, it's, it's interesting the, the the difference in philosophies of organizations, uh, e- even in, in current day. There's no organization in baseball that believes what you just said more than the Atlanta Braves. Uh, when uh, who was the pitching coach for years with the Atlanta Braves? I forget. Leo Mazzoni. Leo Mazzoni. Leo Mazzoni, his philosophy was that he wanted Glavin and Maddox and all the guys he had, Schmoltz. Those guys pitched every day, literally every day. They pitched in the off season. They pitched during the season. They didn't throw hard every day, but their, their workout was to throw the baseball. And they were not on pitch counts. And they, they were, I remember hearing Greg Maddox, somebody asked him, because he, he was notoriously efficient with his pitches because he threw a lot of strikes. But they said, how many pitches could you throw? He said, I, he said, I could throw 160, 170 pitches in a game if I had to. He said, my arm doesn't get tired because I, I throw every day. And the guy said, oh, you mean you throw uh, three times a week? He says, no, I throw every day. If, if I pitch nine innings, I pitch a shutout on a Monday. On Tuesday, I'm throwing. He said, my arm never gets sore. And I think you're right to the extent that these young kids, when they throw so hard, and I, I talked to, when, when I was playing the Men's Senior Baseball League, we had a trainer who was the Oakland A's trainer, and we talked about this very subject. And he said, what people don't realize is these pitchers can come back from injury, like Strasburg, when their major muscles have healed. But what happens is, he said, there's hundreds of little muscles that atrophy. And when those little muscles atrophy, they get hurt by the big muscle. Does that make any sense? Like the big muscle will pull a small muscle. And we had a long discussion at dinner about this. And he brought up the Braves. And the way these guys never had arm trouble is because they threw every day. And it's just a different philosophy 
and I think the Nationals are, are trying to err on the side of caution, but I'm always, when I see Strasburg throw, he has the kind of delivery, I'm always afraid he's going to break his arm. I'm not being facetious. I, I've seen two pitchers do that, literally break their arm uh, during a game. And he has that kind of powerful delivery and huge legs. And I'm just afraid he's going to overthrow someday. And I just wonder if the Nationals might see the same thing. That there's some guys that appear they could just, like Mike Leake. I'm watching Mike Leake pitch tonight. It looks like Mike Leake could throw 200 pitches and it wouldn't bother him. Other guys, you look at him throw and you wonder, Imanez for the Indians. To me, he's an injury waiting to happen the way he delivers the ball. Now, I could be wrong, but it just looks that way. So, you know, these teams all have different philosophies, and and I agree with you. I think they're babying him, but maybe they see something we don't see. Well, I want to bring up two pitchers that I know you will remember. A lot of people over the age of 40 will probably remember them, but under 40, they're not going to remember these guys. But they're well-known guys to Cincinnati Reds fans. Gary Nolan, Jim Merritt. Is there anything the Reds could have done with either one of those two that would have stopped them from having arm injuries? I don't think so. Well, Jim Merritt looked like the kind of guy, a left-hander, a rangy left-hander. He looked like the kind of guy who could have thrown forever because he he didn't throw hard. Uh, He had a big breaking ball. I bet his fastball didn't top out more than 86, 87 miles an hour. But Gary Nolan had one of the worst deliveries I've ever seen in baseball. When he came up when he was 18 years old, he was throwing 95, 96 miles an hour and had an unbelievable breaking ball. And he, But he threw across his body. And I remember, I, I, I don't know what announcer it was, and I, I was, Gary Nolan was only 18 when he came up. And I remember that announcer saying, this guy has great stuff, but boy, is he putting a lot of stress on his arm. And he sure did. I mean, Gary Nolan could have been Tom Seaver. He was that good. He threw harder than Seaver. And a powerfully built guy. And I remember talking to, to Gary Nolan. Uh, it must have been 10, 15 years after he retired. He was a dealer in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, dealing blackjack. And I looked at him. He looked familiar. Then I saw the name. And I said, are you <laughs> Gary Nolan, the Reds player? <laughs> he was, yeah. And so we were talking, and he said his injury, that initial injury, he never recovered from. And and he, he was still effective, but his fastball went from 95 to about 85 miles an hour. But today, his his injury would have been cured by by Tommy John, and they would have dealt with his, his delivery. And he would have had a long career, but... Uh, he was. You're right. Gary Nolan and Jim Merritt were two guys you thought were going to be around forever. But in the day and age they pitched, uh, they had no chance. And one other guy who would have pitched another ten years in today's world was Sandy Koufax. His elbow. They would have dealt with that. You know now, but not not back then. Well, if you remember also, and, and I don't remember a lot about Merritt, but I do remember Nolan. And I do remember Sandy Koufax uh, at least seeing tape of his of his delivery. And I think it has a lot to do with what's going on today with arm injuries. The pitchers that don't have arm injuries are pitchers that have a high leg kick. And I think when the, the, the prevalency of arm injuries really began was back in the 80s when base running became vogue. Stealing bases was really the thing to do. And everybody started shortening up the leg kick and going to a slide step, uh, especially with runners on, obviously, so they could get the ball to home plate quicker. And I think that put a lot more pressure on the arm, much like you're talking about Gary Nolan. Sandy Koufax, if you remember, he and Juan Marichal had had two of the highest leg kicks ever in baseball uh, from a pitcher from a pitcher's standpoint. And, and pitchers nowadays hardly ever have a high leg kick. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't realize that. But you think about it, you're right. Uh, I remember going to Crosley Field and sitting behind home plate and being afraid of Sandy Kopax's fastball because you could not see it. 
and and I remember that high leg kick you're talking about. He hit the ball so well, and all of a sudden it was on you. He was just on you. And that year that I saw him, he went 25 and three, I believe. I think it was 1965 or 64, 65 maybe. And I remember I was playing baseball in high school and thinking, wow, I am never going to be in the big leagues because I could never hit that pitch. And it, and people forget, you know, his fastball had to be in the high 90s at the time. But his curveball was virtually unhittable because it started out above your head and it went down to your feet. And I, I just remember thinking the torque that guy must be putting on his arm to throw a curveball that hard. But, boy, you, you, you picked, you know, Gary Nolan could have been a Hall of Famer. You know, it's just, it's too bad. And, and Sandy Koufax was only 30 years old when he retired. And with today's technology and with today's medicine, both those guys would have had very, very long careers. And Koufax is in the Hall of Fame, but Gary Nolan could have been. Well, and, and you look, you know, like a guy like Pedro Borbone. He could have thrown every day, two innings a day, never had a problem. Satchel Page, the same way. You know, and, and I, I know you and I had discussions about this last year, about Washington shutting down Steven Strasburg. And my opinion of it at the time was, you don't get to the precipice of a world championship the way Washington was every year. And for them to sit down and say, we're going to shut down Steven Strasburg and forego this season in hopes of championships in years to come, you just don't spit in the face of that opportunity like they did. And now look at what is happening with them. They're a game under 500. They are trailing Atlanta somewhere in the area of around eight games in the National League East. They're not. They're behind the Reds. They're not even a shoe in to make the playoffs this year, Mark. And they've got an outstanding pitching staff. But because of the fact that I, I just think it's karma. I know that's crazy to say, but when you do that, when you've got a chance at a World Championship, 160 innings is all you're going to throw this guy coming off Tommy John when he doesn't feel bad. He's not hurting. There's nothing wrong. The doctors aren't saying you've got to shut him down. Go with it. And and now I I think that, you know, he he hasn't thrown over 160 innings in a Major League Baseball season yet. I just what think I you're understand this guy. I agree with you. And what I couldn't understand about last year, okay, let's assume you want to keep him to 160 innings. Then set him down in July. Let him take July off. And then bring him back, or even July and half of August. Get, bring him back, let him do some rehab, get us in, you know. Yep. And, and, and let him pitch in September, or the last two weeks in September, into the playoffs. He, he still doesn't have 160 innings, but you, you have him for the playoffs. I, I never understood why they didn't do that. And, and they had that division wrapped up, too. They, sure they, they could did. have set him down. Yeah, exactly. I, I, never, I, I was glad they did it, because... I was afraid the Reds were going to have to face them in the playoffs. And I didn't want to face Strasburg, but uh, it's, it's kind of strange that they, they did that. Okay, let's get into our Ask Us segment. Uh, we've got about 15 minutes left to go on the show. We've got several questions, and uh, I want to get into our Ask Us segment. We're going to start off tonight's show, Mark, with Mike, who sends us in an email, and I'm not quite sure what he means by this, but he said, I heard you guys talk about Votto or Phillips being the most overpaid tonight. Swisher is on a serious slump for the Ind Indians. Isn't he technically the most overpaid, underperforming guy in Major League Baseball? The fact of the matter is, uh, okay, let me start by saying this. He is not the most overpaid, underperforming guy in Major League Baseball. That honor is bestowed upon, a drum roll please, Alex Rodriguez who has done nothing for the last three years for the New York Yankees, and now I understand he just started taking grounders. He may be back by the All-Star break if Major League Baseball will let him. I don't remember us talking about Votto or Phillips being the most overpaid. I've already gone into Swisher, Mark, but you go ahead and take that one. Uh, no, we didn't say anything about that, but I, I will proffer somebody else who's the most overpaid player in baseball, and that's Carlos Marmal, the reliever for the Cubs. Uh, I don't know if you saw what happened yesterday. 
But the Cubs had a three to nothing lead in the ninth inning against the Mets, and Marmal comes in and gives up four runs, including a three-run game-winning homer. And this guy has been a gasoline explosion next to a firestorm uh, all year, and most of last year and the year before. And I think he signed, you know, a big-time contract. I think it was two two years ago. And uh, th- there was talk of the Reds going after him, uh, and I'm so glad that they didn't. But uh, no, there's a lot of guys that are far, far more overpaid than uh, uh, than <laughs> Votto and, and and Brandon Phillips. So they're performing. Well, and another person. Let's just stay right on the Cubs. Another person who's overpaid is Soriano. Oh, big time. He, he's he, he's just an atrocious baseball player. He, he's you know he he doesn't hit and he doesn't field and he's got a decent arm but nothing great. He misplayed a ball yesterday that the high school kid could have caught. And uh, the Cubs are, man, the Reds beat them three out of four, should have won all four games last week. And that is one of the worst Major League Baseball teams I've seen for a while, given their payroll. Now, I saw Houston play last year, and I thought they were the worst team I'd seen in Major League Baseball for, for 10, 15 years. But at least they had a small payroll. Uh, with the Cubs, that is, that's brutal. Well, last week it was pick on the Reds week. I think this week is the pick on the Indians week. Uh, Sam says, do you think the, play- the Indians are a playoff team? I don't see it. Uh, the, way, the way they're built right now, no. I agree. I don't think they're a playoff team either. I think they can contend with the Tigers and Kansas City in the division. Um, but I don't think they're going to win the division. I think the Tigers are eventually going to outlast everybody for the division, even though the Tigers have... The, the worst bullpen. But I think the American League East, you could get probably three teams out of that division in the playoffs. Uh, right now they've got four of the teams that are over 500. So, no, I agree with you, Sam. I don't think the Indians are a playoff team either, the way they're built right now. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, well, let's let's skip this question and go to a Reds question. We'll come back to it in just a second. Show for MU writes in Mark and says, is there one guy that the Reds need to do better to make the playoffs? I think it's more than just one guy, but I'm hoping Dusty can light a fire under one player and get this team to the postseason again. Well, I think it's not one player per se. Uh, I think the bullpen is what has let the Reds down so far this year. If they had any decent eighth inning help, this, this team would be three games in front of the Cardinals, not behind the Cardinals. So I don't think it's on the field. I think they're getting reasonable production out of left field, not what you'd want with Ludwig in there. But, you know, the, the, the day-to-day players are, are playing better than they were playing earlier. Cozart and Frazier are, are playing well again. But I want to go back to the previous question just for a second. I disagree with you about the Indians. I think the Indians are a playoff team. They're only three and a half games back in the wild card. And Baltimore, New York, Texas and Tampa Bay are ahead of them, and they have a lot of games against those teams the rest of the year. And the Indians are one of the few teams in baseball that have a, a plus 10 run differential, which is, to me, a, a very, very important statistic. And I think the Indians' best days are ahead of them. So I disagree with you. I think the Indians, they're 500 now, and I, I think if you get to 85, 87 wins in the Central, uh, you get a chance to win the division, but you certainly have a chance to be a playoff team. Well, I, you know, I, I hope you're right, Mark, but I think they need one more bat, and I think it's more than just Cabrera when he comes back. I, I think they need, in order for this lineup to really be potent the way I was hoping it was going to be, they need a cleanup hitter. And I think I, I don't know if they can find that cleanup hitter come the trade deadline or not. I don't think it's Ramirez from Milwaukee uh, to come in and play third base. I, I doubt that. But I, I, I certainly hope you're right. I think they're going to stay in it. I think they're an entertaining team. I just don't think that they're ready for prime time as of yet. Let's go to this question from Q, who says, uh, and thanks, Q. You guys have a great show. I think I'm coming at this from an unbiased perspective. I see the Reds and Indians, and I see two third-place teams in their divisions. What do you think these teams need to do to keep from being a third-place team come playoff time? I've pretty much said that. I think the Indians need a cleanup man, which is 
easier said than than done. What do you think about the Reds, Mark? I think the Reds just have to get healthy. If they get Heisey and Ludwig and Sean Marshall back, I think those three additions to this team make this team one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team in baseball. So my fear about the Reds was that, and I picked them third, a close third in the division, only because I was afraid that they had lost so much through injury and, and the Reds were, going to, were not going to go out and, and replace those players. They didn't. But fortunately, the Reds had enough on the bench to come through. But I, I think the Reds uh, and the Indians can both make the playoffs. I, frankly, I think the Reds are a better team uh, than than they than the Indians are. But uh, you know who knows? Okay, we've got two more questions. The last one I'm just about going to explode on. But Jerry says the guys on the radio and now you guys the last couple of weeks keep saying. The Reds need to pitch Araldus Chapman more innings. That is not the solution. Why do you think it is? Dusty doesn't have a crystal ball to know when his setup men are going to suck. It happens. Nobody is perfect. Save the money on the crystal ball and go get the Reds a real setup guy. The bullpen has holes that need to be filled. Quit fill them and stop trying to say the solution is Chapman. It isn't and it never will be. Oh, wrong-o, person. Uh, <laughs> here's my issue with Chapman and Dusty Baker. There are times, and I'm not saying it's all the time, uh, but there are times when you could bring Chapman in for four outs or five outs, let him pitch to a tough left-hander with the bases loaded, with two out in the eighth inning, and you've got a one-run lead. Bring him in, get that left-hander out. That is more important than coming in into the ninth inning with nobody on base, getting that one out. Uh, tonight, as an example, Tony Singrani came in in the eighth inning, and the first time he came in in relief, uh, he walked a guy and then struck out two. That's what they need out of the bullpen. They need that power arm. And I'll tell you what, if Singrani can take over that eighth inning spot, <laughs> having Singrani and Chapman back-to-back, that has got to be scary for, for National League hitters. Because Singrani was hitting 96 tonight. And and the Reds, by the way, just did two home runs in the ninth inning to take a 4-1 to lead. Uh, Jay Bruce and uh, Joey Votto went deep. But uh, the, the Reds and, and with Chapman, talk about babying somebody. I mean, I think they certainly baby him. And why do you, why do you warm him up? By Dusty's own admission, he probably threw 40 to 45 pitches in the bullpen against the Cubs the other day. Why do you why do you waste him in the bullpen? And that's that's happened so many times this year. So we just have we just agree to disagree with our with our questioner. Well, here's the last question, and you're going to know why I saved this as the last question when you hear it, Mark. And I'm I'm going to let you answer this question before I get into it because I think I'm going to have to go get a glass of water or something just to calm down. The Jeremiah writes in and says, The Indians are awful, and it's all because of Francona. This guy is washed up and can't manage a team anymore. He should be put in his place, which is being fired. At this point, I think the Indians' last manager could have done this well with the collection of players they have assembled for Francona. Mark, go ahead. Jeremiah, we need to talk. Uh if he needs to be fired, if Francona needs to be fired, you need to seek professional help. Uh, Terry Francona is probably the best manager the Indians have had for the last 20, 25 years. I can't think of one that's any better. And you guys had some good managers back in the days you were winning. Uh, you ought to be happy to have Francona. And if you give this guy the talent, he will win in Cleveland just like he did in Boston. So I don't know how old you are, uh, Jeremiah, but uh, you ought to do your homework before you get on radio and make statements like that and give Dave, Dave Mitchell an opportunity to have a stroke. Yeah, that's about what it is. My blood pressure, if, they, if I was at Walmart right now and had my arm in one of those sleeves, it would be exploding right now. Because, Jeremiah, do you remember who the Indians' last manager was? Manny Acta. Where is Manny Acta right now? 
on the set of ESPN, making people wonder why he's there. This guy couldn't manage his way out of a paper bag. They were so ready to get rid of him in the clubhouse in Cleveland, they were having a revolt. And to have a revolt in Cleveland would be like going out and lighting the river on fire. This, this was, Manny Acta was in a disgrace. The only reason he got the job was because he accepted the pay that the Indians put on the contract. He was the only guy that did. They even offered him the job over Bobby Valentine. What does that tell you about Manny Acta? <laughs> All right, Dave. He was, Dave, 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 calm down. Your oh blood pressure is high. We can't let Anyhow. Jeremiah get under your skin. And besides, I want to save a couple minutes because you were going to talk about what you heard on Bleacher Report about the players the Reds and the Indians are going after. So, Jeremiah, That's right. so, we want you to continue to listen, but you got to do your homework, pal, before you make statements like that. A- absolutely. Okay. That's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget you can write us in or tweet us next week. At, tweet us at OHBB co-host, or you can write in at Ask Us at ultimatesportstalk.com. That's actually askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Okay, Bleacher Report this week said that there were some rumors going around that the Reds were interested in actually four players. I, I think only three are actually probably on the Reds' horizon. They're all outfielders, Mark, and let, let's look at these. First of all, you've got Jason Kubel from Colorado, who used to be with Minnesota. You've got David Murphy. And I thought this one was rather interesting, and I got it. And, and Bill Ivey was my guest on the show Thursday night, and he said he thinks Jeff Francoeur of Kansas City is available for the right price because they've brought up a couple of youngsters. Any of those guys trip your trigger? No, uh, they don't. And, and, and I think that with the Reds, if you if you look at uh, what Xavier Paul has done, uh, and when they get Heisey back and Ludwig back. They, they, None of those guys you mentioned to me are a step above, uh, you know, anybody that the Reds have on the roster right now. Well, okay, and and Greg just uh, sent me a message, Mark, in in response to Jeremiah. I just we just got two tweets. Uh, Jham Forty said, uh, "Getting one out in the eighth inning when it matters is the job of the setup guy." when we're talking about uh, Araldus Chapman coming in. Well, tell that to Mariano Rivera, who has come in in the eighth inning to get guys out for the Yankees when it counted. Uh, another thing is, Han E9 just tweeted in and said, Francona's last job was on ESPN also. That's entirely correct, Han. I will admit that you are correct. But where Francona has the advantage over Manny Acta is the fact that he never had a losing season up until the last one as manager of Boston. And even in his last year as manager of Boston, that wasn't even a losing season. He ended up losing out on the playoffs by one game, and that was on the last last game of the season. And he had two world championships in Boston as manager. On the other hand, Manny Acta, and I'm going to calm down, Mark, never finished over 500 as a manager in baseball, period. Manny Acta only finished in third place, above third place, once as manager of a baseball team. If you guys think Manny Acta can hold Terry Francona's <clears throat> proverbial jock, you're nuts. There is no way in the world. And I will tell you this, if Francona ever leaves the Indians, and Mark, I think you'll agree with me, he'll get another job just like that, whereas Manny Acta is going to probably be managing in the Mexican League for the next 20 years. I'll make a prediction that Terry Francona is going to end up managing the Dodgers or managing the uh, Los Angeles Angels before the next two years are up. Oh, my. I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, unless, unless the Indians fire Antonetti and Shapiro, I, I doubt that's going to happen. Well, okay. Everybody got my blood pressure up, which I guess is a good thing, Mark, because on Thursday night, the the show is switching. It is going to be Ultimate Sports Talk on Ultimate Sports Talk. We're going to be talking about all sports. So, Mark, you can tune in, and I'm going to be talking about every sport there is available out there now. Well, you're, you're the guy to do it. <laughs> 
That's going to be at seven o'clock. Hey, Mark, what are the Indians? Or the, I'm sorry, what do the Reds have coming up this week? This is going to be a monster schedule for the Reds. Yeah, the Reds have uh, they got Pittsburgh for four games this week, and uh, I forget who they play starting over the weekend. Uh, but the, the next, I guess the next they've 15, got Arizona over the weekend. Yeah, the next fifteen to twenty games, uh, the Reds are, are going to find out how good they are. They, they play a lot of first place teams, and uh, this this next week particularly is going to be very challenging. You know what I find interesting, Mark? Real quick, I know we're over right now, but when they go to Texas next week, they're playing a Sunday game in the afternoon in Texas. That's almost unheard of. They never play a Sunday afternoon game. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, that, that one's shocking. The Indian schedule, uh, they have got Kansas City this week. Uh, the, matter of fact, they're losing to Kansas City right now, but they play them on Tuesday and Wednesday. They're off Thursday, uh, and then they uh, continue on uh, this weekend where they play Minnesota. So it should be an interesting week, and we'll be back next week with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, have a good week. Stay calm, Dave. It'll be better. I'm I'm heading to Walmart right now and get my blood pressure checked. So I think I, <laughs> since they're open 24 hours, I can do that. All right, it. our thanks to Mark. Yeah, thanks, Mark. <laughs> hey, our thanks to everybody, including Jeremiah, for writing in for our Ask Us segment. And our thanks to you most of all for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Join me Thursday night with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everyone.